analyst here on MMAfighting.com. My name is Luke Thomas. Uh, thank you for joining me. This podcast works with three parts. Part one, a big overview. Part two, we break down some of the technical action from the weekend. And then part three, we take a look at what's ahead and uh, things to expect. Um, this past weekend, there were it was a few things, but it was basically World Series of Fighting 22. Let me move this mic a little bit closer. It was World Series of Fighting 22, and it was um, UFC 190. So a few things there. There was also uh, a five grappling event where Gary Tonin got revenge, so to speak, on Joe Meow. Um, I don't know how many of you actually care about that, but it was true. And then Tim Spriggs won the, the men's division, and I think Mackenzie Dern won the women's. And the men's division was stacked. Joao Assis, Yuri Samois. Um, lots, lots of, lots of big names there anyway. Um, but I want to get to, um, a few fights from the UFC 190 card. I didn't like the card hardly at all. I'll get to in just a minute. And the, the World Series of Fighting card actually was not so bad. I'll get to some of that stuff in just a minute too. But part one, let's just go ahead and kick it off. The, the podcast is, I try to get it 30 minutes or less. I've been doing too much and it's been going way too long, which I don't want to do. I really want to keep this thing down, uh, to a minimum so I can get it up faster so I can be. It could actually get up in the morning, shocking as that may be. So for the first segment, let's just do five minutes on the clock, uh, and then we'll get going. Part one, the big overview. I, I wanted to spend part one of the big uh, overview in this particular podcast for uh, Paharis versus Shields. There was a lot of questions about to what extent what he did was unethical or did he hold the tap too long. Let me say a couple of things. You need to watch the fight. The eye pokes are outrageous. They're completely and totally outrageous. And, you know, I really, I walked into the fight before I saw it. I wanted to give Steve Mazzagatti the benefit of the doubt because I actually don't think he was that late on stopping the fight. I thought his positioning wasn't awesome. I didn't think he was great. But I didn't think it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. I didn't think it was like one of those things where it was so egregious. The lack of taking any uh, points or penalty for the eye gouging is simply unforgivable. But that's a separate issue. Okay. Um, about what to do with Mazagati and how he handled it. That's a separate thing we can talk about maybe on the live chat on Wednesday. I guess I want to talk about the submission itself, and I'll break down the fight in just a minute, but I mean about whether he held the, the Kimura too long and what it all means. Let me say a couple of things. Number one, yes, he held the Kimura too long. Did he hold the Kimura too long relative to how long he's held heel hooks or other submissions, both at ADCC and MMA? No, this is not... This is not the worst example that he's ever given us of his inability to control himself. Um, and I've actually seen submissions held longer before. And submissions being held long, um, you know, is not necessarily anything new in MMA. Remember, Babalu got cut from the UFC for doing it. Uh, Hoist Gracie did it in the very first UFC. But the, the issue is as follows. I saw some people on Twitter, uh, some people I respect very much, and I think they have a point. They were saying, look, what is the outrage over what Paul Harris is doing? I thought I was saying it's awesome, but what is the outrage if we're going to cheerlead when people like Hendo do the dive bomb on Bisping or forget that example, um, just any case where a guy punches someone who's clearly out and then just waits for the ref to step in. And even if it's a clean stoppage, right, the ref did everything they could and the fighter did everything they're supposed to, you still have a case where you're handing out brain damage Um in the best case scenario with a ref that still jumped in at the right time. Um, how can we say that what Paul Harris did is uniquely worse than that? Um, and I guess, I, 
so, so then asking the question, why is there outrage over this? And I guess my response would be because we're dealing with two completely different systems of combat. We've tried to meld them, but they have different rules and different ethics and frankly, different realities. So look, the, obviously there is a bit of a moral complication when you're finger wagging at Pajares and then cheerleading Hendo. You just are, you know, you just are. Um, and I agree with that. I think they have a very smart point there. But I think where I differ with everyone on Paul Harris is, first of all, you can make all the different comments you want, uh, that he's a multiple-time offender and everything else. But the difference with jiu-jitsu is as follows. God damn it. Ugh, my computer here. The difference is the point about holding a submission too long is that it's nakedly unethical. And the reason why is because jujitsu, unlike striking, is much, there's much more control to be exercised over everything. I have my hands in place, I am twisting a position I have been in a million times against opponents of all different levels a million times. I know what the breaking point is. I know what this position feels like. I know exactly what I'm doing, and I have the ability at any point just to let go. Certainly someone has the ability to stop striking if they want. If they choose to do so, knock off, walk, knock away, or, you know, one punch, drops them, and then they walk away. But it's a little bit messier, so it's just not as clean. There is a cleanliness to jiu-jitsu with people who have an ethical view of it to exercise control in much neater ways. I really have a hard time seeing how that's not true. Right? That's the whole point of jujitsu. Moreover, there is a built in system of surrender. Yes, anyone can tap to strikes, but it's still, it's not as bad as it is in boxing where there's a, you know, a, a, a taboo around it, but it's just not an outlet that is as readily available to people who are choosing to strike um, as it is in jujitsu. A tap is very, very common in jujitsu. It's not. It's not necessarily all that common in striking, either pure striking or in MMA striking contests. When I say MMA striking contests, I mean contests where the two combatants choose to strike it out. They usually just want to live or die by the sword. And so when you have this built-in system of surrender, when you have this ability to, when you have this ability to stop something um, much cleaner because you're exercising more control over the elements in play, the idea of holding a submission past where it's supposed to go, past the point of a, a, a combatant surrendering, past the point of a combatant surrendering while a referee is begging you to get off of him, um, is so deeply unethical. It's deeply, deeply unethical. And it doesn't, you know, the, the, we try to make comparisons to striking or other things. And, and I admit there are some complicating moral factors here about how we cheerlead some people striking someone when they're down. I think that's a fair point, but it's also, I think, in my judgment, it is when you recognize what jujitsu is and how it has built itself, I don't just mean a code of honor necessarily. I mean actual things we've built into the system of play, the combatant surrender, uh, and then the nature of the exercise itself, or the ability to let go immediately because you just have much tighter, cleaner methods of control, your ability to... Um, uh, you know, manage that space means there's more responsibility on you to be cleaner about how you use that space. If someone doesn't tap, you can break their arm. But if they're tapping, you're, you're, it's not just you have a moral obligation to let go. It's actually quite easy. It's actually quite easy. 
You don't have to keep going. You can just let go. Even if you have a choke, a mounted choke, you can just let go. If you have a Rousey armbar, you sit back and you have it and they pat, you can just let go. If you have a Kimura and you're driving them over for a sweep, you can just let go. If you have a heel hook, you can just let go. It takes two hands to a heel hook. Drop one off, see what happens. It's, it's a very clean level of control relative to striking. So to me, holding it past is so willfully effed up. It's so totally unethical. Um, you know, I don't know what the athletic commission is going to do, or what World Series of Fighting is going to do, but a multi-year ban for Paul Harris, I think, is completely justified. Totally and completely justified. He is a menace. He is a total menace. Um, and even if this particular incident isn't necessarily his worst, uh, and it's not, Jake Shields walked away okay, for the most part, on his arm. Um, it's still, what he did was hold it too late. And when you talk about this many cases of this guy holding it this late, in a sport where holding it late should be super rare. It should be super rare. Think about how many guys hold a submission too long. Um, it is a very small list. And every time they do it, they do it willfully. Babalu, I think it was David Heath, wanted to send a message to David Heath. And Hoist Gracie wanted to send a message as well. I forget the French donk who he was doing it to. But um, was it Gordeaux? Gerard Gordeaux? Whatever the case. You get the idea. Uh, I, I find it completely unethical. Completely and totally unethical. Injuries happen in jiu-jitsu. You know, guys don't want to tap or guys don't realize they need to tap and bad things can happen. But when someone is surrendering, and you know the, I mean, and by the way, like the sad part about it is like Paul technique on that thing, I'll break it down in just a second, was sublime. Like he has an awesome Kimura, devastatingly effective, devastatingly effective. Um, when you have that kind of command in a system of combat where that kind of control is available to you, to hold on to things too long is so willful and so unnecessary and so dangerous and, frankly, at this point, kind of unforgivable. That's my take on that. All right. It's not the same as striking. It's just not. It's actually kind of why I like jiu-jitsu is because I like having the control or, you know, fighting to get back the control. So, with that argument out of the way, um, let's talk about some of what happened here. Uh, okay. Let's pull up the um, the results if I can. I don't want to spend a ton of time on World Series of Fighting 22. In fact, I'm just going to break down one fight, and then I'll be done with it. Um, but I just want to get this out. Okay, World Series of Fighting 22 took place at the Planet Hollywood Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. I'm sure you have all seen the uh, Nurmagomedov Madoff Shields beer-throwing incident. Uh, I don't have any figures on attendance, but suffice to say, uh, you know, I'm sure it was okay. So look, uh, Husmar Palharis defeated Jake Shields via Kimura at 2.02 of the third round. So let's break this down a little bit. Um, I thought, from a general perspective, I thought Shields had an excellent game plan. I thought Paul Harris, you can see the limits of his jiu-jitsu and then the greatness of it at the same time. Boy, he is a limb snatcher, man. Forget this, the late stoppage for just a second. He is a limb snatcher. Not a much of a choke guy. The arms won't really allow him to be much of a choke guy. But he has such an ability where if he can control one of your limbs and then use the strength of and the of his grip and then the tightness of his body to keep control of it, man, you are in deep trouble. 
you are in deep, deep trouble. And I frankly like the fact that he didn't use any uh, um, leg locks this time. So first round comes out. Uh, Shields gets a takedown, and he covers his hips. You notice he has like a, a waist grip, and he's kind of off to the side. Pajares gets under his base, so Shields still has the waist grip. I think it may have been a gable grip or a C grip, but whatever the case, Pajares goes to his base, and you see what Pajares does. He sticks a left leg out. He sticks a left leg out because he wants to get, if this is Shields' legs, he wants to get one in between so when they roll, he can wrap, right? He sticks one leg out. And then he rolls underneath. He sticks his right hand underneath and like shoulder rolls while trying to use one, uh, trying to get his legs between one of Shields. Shields reads it immediately and just follows him, just follows him right underneath so that they come back in the same spot. But this time, um, he's not on his base anymore because he, he rolled. So, so Paul Horace winds up going flat on his back. Shields still has the waist and is off to the side at this point. Let me make a point about Paul Horace that kind of gets slept on a little bit. Everyone talks about his ankle locks and everything else. And I just mentioned he's a limb snatcher. He has, I won't say awesome hips underneath. It's not like he's constantly moving all the time. Like Carlos Condit has really busy guard work. But when Paul Horace wants to use his hips, they are powerful both to finish that Kimura, because the hips are involved there, believe it or not, if you've never trained before, um, but also just to shrimp away. He can create space really, really well. He, he must have a very, very strong abdominal core and obviously um, has, you know, really practiced that move a lot. So that was one cool thing, though, that you could tell Shields was ready for, that, you know, the rolling is going to be a big part of Paharis trying to snatch a knee and, and get in between things, and, and Shields read it right away. It was great. Um, so let's see. To get the base, blah, 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 blah. Oh, there was one point where you can see, um, so again, Paharis is, you know, uh, I think he was like an open guard or like a butterfly guard. And you can see him put his right foot on the left hip of shields and he tries to frame and then not push away, but just push, push on him a little bit. You know, get him to back up. So what does Shields do? Natural reaction that everyone does. He kind of pushes back in, gets down on his base a little bit. Paharis uses that to then drop his foot, try and throw Shields in front of him, and then hit the omoplata. Shields read it and just got his elbow in time uh, to not get snatched. But, like, it, it, this is what I'm talking about. Like, um, he has strong defensive movement to shrimp out and get where he needs to be, or he has an ability to push on the hips to get a reaction out of you to then launch into offense. He wasn't able to chain much together. Like, I would have liked to have seen him have a response if the Omoplata didn't hit, but, you know, he got the job done anyway. But that was, a, like, a key moment where you can see him push on the hips, waits for the reaction from Shields, tries to hit the Omoplata, and doesn't get it, but, you know, he's keeping Shields on his toes, man. Um, oh, last thing. How many times on this, and I need to be able to see myself here so I can make this point. How many times has your boy here on this very podcast talked about if someone is inside control and you're on top of the arm, you're not occupying the space, you don't have proper control. I'm not saying that they're necessarily going to get away. Proper control is when you have occupied this space. I've been saying it over and over and over and over and over on this podcast. And someone is finally listening. Not that they care what I have to say, but I just want to point out to you. Shields winds up getting, he just basically hops over Paul Harris and gets into side control. All right. And from there, he tries to, you know, work a um, shoulder pressure. But but underneath, he doesn't. He's on top of the arm. He hasn't opened up the elbow, 
Pilharis is here. Shields is on top. So what does Pilharis do? Digs the underhook, throws him over with a, uh, you know, he does a bridge, throws him over, and then quickly corkscrews back to face him on there. So this is my point. If you don't have that space occupied, you, you just don't have firm side control, especially against someone really good and really strong like that. So round two comes out. And by the way, I think he gets his eyes raked in the first round at the, before like the last minute. So round two comes out. Um, Shields gets a takedown. Not, doesn't finish it. Pajaris tries to base. Shields tries to get the back. And Pajaris rolls underneath. Shields again follows him. Um, so he doesn't, you know, you don't want to just, you don't want to like get caught trying to escape or, or getting caught in place. You want to go with him. Isn't able to sink the hooks because then Pajaris turns into him. But again, that waist grip following him. Good job by Jake Shields. He was able to at least keep the angle that he needed. Um, again, after the first minute, Shields grunts from what appears to be an eye gouge. Um, so there was one moment where Shields passes to mount. I thought it was pretty good. Why does shoulder pressure matter? Why does it matter? Well, number one, it hurts. But like if someone has your head wrapped, let's say you're, I'm, in, I'm on top of you in side control. I got your head wrapped. I've got my middle finger all the way digging underneath to the far side of your armpit, and I'm pulling you into me, and I'm right on here in the neck, and I'm pressing into your neck, and I'm driving everything in, and I'm not just driving in with my muscles here in my arm, but I'm, you know, I'm on my toes, and I'm leaning all my weight into you. Why does this matter? Well, yes, it hurts, but you're not going to tap anybody good, uh, that way, at least not anybody good. The reason why that matters um, is because if your head and neck are isolated, it doesn't matter what else you do. Your hips are not really going to go anywhere. And you see a lot of white belts and even some blue belts make this mistake. You don't want to ever get your head wrapped because if someone can wrap your head and then control it, you think your hips are free. You're not. Everything works together. It's not magic. If you can control someone up here, their hips are, are, are worthless. That they're not going to escape. And if you have great pressure, I mean, they'll just let their – people will just give you the pass if you can really get some heavy pressure on there. And so what does Shields do? Shields gets both of Paul Harris's arms up and away from him. So this is – think about it. Where are you strongest? Here. Where are you weakest? Way out here. Way out here, right? When your arms are completely straightened out. Shields opens him up. He opens him up and then puts – shoulder pressure onto one side as he brings his weight up and then drives it down. That's what he does. And then has, I don't know what some people call it. I call it the instep pass. You know, Nogueira was used to it. So you bring your weight up, you put one of your insteps in and you just like, you kind of knee slice the way out. It's like, a, I call it the instep pass, but that's what he does. He controls everything from here up, gets the elbows away from the body. And then, and then, uh, Instep passes him. Good job by Jake Shields, which appear, you know, I guess a stronger guy is very, very difficult to do. Um, so this is the interesting part. So Pajaris is now mounted, and I was I I, I thought mounting Pajaris was a curious strategy because um, there are so many the heel hooking guys can now heel hook you from mount. They can just bring their leg over, and especially in MMA where there's no such thing as knee reaping, and they can get you. Um, now, I'm by no means a heel hook expert by any stretch of the imagination. I've only recently started, you know, uh, focusing on them a little bit. And I'm actually taking a Gary Tonin seminar on the 9th. Um, it needs to be a bigger part of my game. But um, what's interesting about it is uh, Pajares bucks. Okay, so what, what happens? Shields is like flat on top of him. Okay. This, this, or, you know, this is here. Shields sits up. 
and then starts punching. Okay, if you're flattened out and someone tries to buck you, it's, it's going to be difficult. But when they sit up, what are they doing? They're bringing their weight behind them, and they can't base anymore. If you're Now, that's different if you're, if you're right up underneath their armpits, if you're sitting here on their chest. But if you're sitting on their hips, and then you sit up, you now have given me space to buck and at least get you to post. But if you're post, your hips are high in the air, which means I can drop mine, shrimp, and create space, right? Or all kinds of things you can do. Um, but that's the point. Is if it's, he waits for shields to sit up, fire punches, boom, that's the moment to go, hits the hip escape, and then what does he do? He tries to wrap the, I believe, the left leg of shields. Shields, let's see, what does he do? Let me look at my notes here. Shields realizes it, rolls to his right, because you're rolling with the way he's trying to reap, right? Um, but realizes once doing that, that um, it's actually his right leg that's now in trouble. So he rolls to his right and then comes immediately back both ways. Why is this important? Because he doesn't, when, it, when you have a heel hook on someone, it's not just that you're isolating one leg, you're blocking the other leg with your other leg. That's the key here because if, Yes, you can finish it even if you don't have that, but the key to rolling for them is having another free leg, especially no gi, right? I mean, you can't heel hook in the gi, but you get the idea. Um, if the other leg is blocked, even if you have this one, or excuse me, if this leg isn't blocked and I'm attacking this one, they have a chance of escaping if they're good. But if I have the heel hook I'm applying here and I've also blocked your far side leg, you are in deep S. You are in deep S. So what does he do? He rolls one way and then immediately comes back because now he has both legs open. Now, Paul Harris is attacking one, but the other one is free. It's free to do what he wants. Paul Harris, his leg is past Paul Harris's leg. Paul Harris had like a, a weird guard almost. Um, he, had, he had a cross in front of in front of Shields' belly. It was like a weird, it's like a, it was like a, a reap where his legs were crossed in front. But this, this is the point I'm trying to make. It's not, it's not that he had one leg and had controlled and blocked the other. He only had one, and this was wide open, meaning Shields had an ability to get his own hips away. Shields had, an ability, Shields had an ability to turn. Shields had an ability to roll with it. The rest of his body was open. It's hard to control someone if they have both legs, not open, but like there's open space in front of them. right? So that's what he did. So Shields had clearly, clearly, game plan for this and had did a really fantastic job, quite frankly. Um, and now this is when all of the eye pokes really start coming. Um, and you can see at the end of the second round, he is absolutely livid, livid at this. Okay. Uh, understandably, like he says something to Mazagata, like, dude, what are you doing? Help me. All right. Round three, almost done. Have what happens. Shield catches, Shields catches a kick, uh, runs down a double, but in what does Paul Harris do immediately? Doesn't stay flat on his back, gets to a hip. Again, where do you never want to be? Ideally, flat on your back. Some cases you might want to be, but you get the idea. Not so much in an MMA fight. Paul Harris gets to a hip, immediately locks up the Kimura grip. Interestingly, with the thumb. Most Kimura grips are like this, and that may seem counterintuitive to you if you've never trained. You would say, well, isn't your grip stronger here? No, your grip is stronger here. But you have more control here. So maybe that's what it is. And clearly, um, you know, his ability to finish is pretty great. But this is, it's always this. It's this. This is your Kimura grip right here. Thumbs inside, just like that. All right. Anyway, gets a Kimura grip. What does Shields do? Shields realizes, uh-oh, 
I'm in deep trouble. I don't want him to lock up guard and do this. Um, Paul Harris begins to move. Shields goes with him and rolls, which is the correct thing to do. But you, you have to, after you roll, you got to be able to get to start the scramble. And he couldn't. Why? Paul Harris perfectly rolled almost over his own shoulders to come with Jake Shields. Jake Shields rolled. Sometimes what happens is if you try to come more on someone and they roll, the other person doesn't, doesn't follow right away. And so there can be a lag and they can get away and they can scoot in. They can get their arm free. They might, they might get their back taken, but you know, they're out of like direct submission danger. Paul Harris does, and you could tell he'd work this. He launches the Kimura shields rolls because he times it perfectly. Well, so does Paul Harris comes right over the top with him. And the way he lands is brilliant. Totally brilliant. Some guys will try and land in side control. If you're tall like me and you have a shorter opponent, you can even finish that from half guard if your body is long enough with their body being short enough. It's possible. But you want to usually finish that from side control. If that doesn't work, the best way to do it is to step over the head. When he rolls, he rolls into a spot where he's already stepped over the head. There's no extra work that has to get done. He launches himself into literally the best place to finish a Kimura. The number one choice of finishing Kimuras. Pass Shields' legs over his head, arm isolated. Bro, you are dead to rights at that point. He got you dead to rights. He just did. Now, all the other stuff is horrible. But on top of that, look at every minute detail. Now, the only thing I would take issue with is this. But again, Paul Harris, you know, is a much better player than me. This might be something he feels like an MMA is necessary. You know, guys can slip out on the gloves. I don't know. But typically, this is the way you want to do it. But whatever. He has the C-grip on the on the wrist. But if you watch him, look at where his hips are facing. They're almost facing the opposite direction of how Shields is looking. That's how much. When you drive into a Kimura, it's not just that you're moving their arms with your arms. And, but you know, you're not, you're not just, I'm not just pushing like this. Right? If I have a Kimura here and a Kimura here, I'm not just, I'm not just rotating my arms over. This is how you do it. I'm going to step with one foot with the other hand over their leg, and I'm going to turn into you. I'm going to look like everything comes in. The shoulders and the hips, they all move as I drive my weight off my feet. Can you imagine? And the reason why you step over the head is because it gives you the space to get behind them, and they, they can sit up only a bit. But if they're flat on their back, you kind of have to you kind of have to arch it. When you step over the head, there's a little bit of space that happens. It gives you just enough to do this, but they're still basically locked. So it gives you the proper spacing with also the optimum control. So he gets that, is cranking that joker, and then you can see him. He's not just pushing. It's not a bench press with his arms. He's holding it in place and then off his feet, driving into it, shoulders and, and hips all the way turned. Bro, that is ridiculously painful that is ridiculously painful. you saw shields a black belt tap like that like that that is how bad that is so for him to hold that for anything longer than he's supposed to is completely unethical it is totally unethical that is i mean you're talking about a horrible submission that is extra painful and he is literally in the optimum spot for it there is no better position to, that I'm aware of to finish a Kimura, especially in MMA, especially in MMA. I mean, there's nothing you can do. There is no escape. There's no shrimping. There's no nothing when he gets you like that. And you look at Shields' arm too, by the way. It is bent. It, I mean, 
one more second, it would have broken, maybe. One more second, I don't know. So that's what I'm talking about. When you start to look at all the different pieces of how Paul Harris did it and set it up and then finished it, like to hold that longer than you're supposed to and you know when you can let it go in a system of control where that kind of barbarism isn't actually necessary because you have the surrender and because you have the ability to just simply stop is totally unforgivable. But boy, I tell you what, everyone looks out for his heel hooks and understandably look out for that dude's Kimuras. God damn. <laughs> that is about as nasty a Kimura as you're ever going to see, as you're ever going to see. I know Mir finished Nog and it broke his arm and everything, but I'm just talking to you about from like, I think it was Joe Silva who said about Frank Mir, he, he, uh, you know, this is what happens when horsepower meets technique. You know, that's what horsepower and technique is Paharas, man. Because Jesus, just 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 the most minute details. I mean, if you look at his feet in the final push, I don't think his heels are even on the ground. I think it's just his toes. He is driving off of his feet to turn his hips and shoulders. All while Shields can only sit up just enough to get himself in trouble. That's it, man. That's it. It's it's just it's madness. It's absolute madness how good that is and how scary it is. And that's why everything he did is totally unforgivable. All right. Hang on one second. All right, let's keep going here because we've spent too long on Paul Harris versus Shields because everyone wants to talk about everything else. Um, you can hear my dog, Barbus, being a little S-bag. Uh, UFC 190 took place at the HSBC Arena in Rio de Janeiro. Oh, real quickly, uh, I watched uh, Nurmagomedov's brother from World Series of Fighting. Um, seemed to have a little bit more power on his punches, but just not nearly the same kind of command over the clinch that, that Habib does. Um, and a little, little bit of issues taking the back. Although it's interesting, both brothers really like to work from Turtle, which is kind of funny. But um, whatever the case. All right, UFC 190, HSBC Arena. Attendance was put at 14,723. To my knowledge, there is not any gate receipt numbers that I'm aware of. I'm only going to talk about a couple of these fights just because I, I kind of thought they were bad for the most part. Um Vito Canetti versus Hugo Viana, I don't really care about so much. Uh, Vitor Miranda beat Clint Hester. Leandro Issa, I'm not going to break down his fight, but he had a good first round, able to pass him out and then keep the strong side control against Uri, Uri Alcantara, which is no easy feat. Uh, Wardley Alves defeated Nordin Taleb versus uh, via guillotine choke. And then Patrick Cummins had, I thought, was a pretty gutsy display against Feijiao, winning via elbows at TKO at 45 seconds of the third round. So let them start backwards. Uh, Ronda Rousey. Defeated Bechkohea via punch KO, 34 seconds. You guys have seen this. Here's the only thing I really say about it. There's a couple of times where Rousey whiffs on a punch and is totally out of position. You know, a pinpoint striker would have had a little bit more. I'm not saying would have beat her, but probably would have landed a couple of decent shots. Uh, actually, the first punch landed is a right hand from Kohea. But be that as it may, um, she throws a right and then a left, uses the left to then wrap the head and then dirty box underneath. They back up. She does it again. I believe she gets it. Um, Yes, she does. So then what does she do? She has uh, the left hand dirty boxing, right hand underneath. She kind of switches like a judo grip. A lot of judo guys, they'll reach over your back and then grab the back of your collar because the collar's kind of thick. There's all kinds of stuff you can do from back. I mean, there's literally all kinds of stuff you can do from that grip. 
But okay, she doesn't do quite do that. She kind of just reaches over the back and then left hand, left arm of Kohea, she grabs like a like a pincher with her right hand. So she's got arm control or she's got head control sort sort of, you know, shoulder control and then arm control. And looks like I can't tell if she was faking a trip or abandoned it. She didn't actually quite reach for it. But anyway, she kind of lets it go for a little bit. Goes back to dirty boxing some more with the left hand to hold. Um, so what does she do? She keeps the left hand behind the neck of Kohea. Kohea responds with a right hand over the top. Rousey uses that to get behind her, right? Keeps the hand here and then outside tripper, right? She gets an outside trip. She doesn't follow Kohea to the ground. Kohea kind of just does a shoulder roll, stands back up, and then the barrage started from there. Um, th I watched the combinations. Rossi did a right hand. This was all together, like not, not like single shotting. A right hand head, left hand body, right hand head, and then left hand head. So bang, 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 bang up top. That was really kind of beautiful. And then moving side to side, like when she was, she would throw, she threw the right and then the left. And then when she threw the second right, she stepped over and then threw the next two together, which I thought was kind of nice. Uh, two lefts connect and Kohea wraps a Rousey. Because now you saw what Rossi said after the fact, she wanted to force, she wanted to force Kohea to clinch. She didn't want to chase down the clinch. So two left hands, Bing, Bing, they land for Rousey. Kohea clinches. Um, do you hear my dog? Like he's dying out there. Uh, okay, so she fires the two shots. Bing, Bing. Kohea clinches. Now you're dead. To, I mean, you're just you effed up at that point. What does Rousey do? Rousey then wraps up. Fires a left knee up the gut. That gets that must have hurt her. That gets her backing up. She eats a small left hand as she backs up, which kind of off balances her. And what do you see Rousey do, man? This is crazy. She kind of catches a small left, not nothing too major, but just enough to like you're you know, and if someone's already hurt, something big doesn't have to land to like do something else, make them lose concentration, balance, whatever. Kohea kind of falls back slight not falls, but kind of slumps a little bit back to the fence. Rousey follows up like literally target practice i bet went back and watched it because i didn't notice it the first time she walks up measuring with the left measuring with the left bing crosses her over with the right upside the dome like, but like it's not like I didn't, she didn't jab with the left like let me set it up behind the jab she just stuck her left hand out <laughs> and just straight up measured just straight up measured like where are you going to be at oh right there bop got her and just crushed her from there you guys all saw and then before she lands fires another left hook off the side Kind of amazing. Um, some folks were saying, like, did you see how open she was? Yeah, she's pretty open. I don't know who's going to take advantage of that. People are mentioning Holm, but Holm uses her kicks a lot to keep distance. Against Rousey, man, I, that just feels like bad news. I don't know. But maybe maybe I'm misreading that a little bit. Lord knows if it won't be the first time. Um, but still. Uh, okay. Not going to talk about Hua versus Noguera. I didn't think either guy looked spectacular. I thought Hua looked in good shape. Um, and had a nice clinical approach, but his ability to take a shot has been diminished. Uh, the two ultimate fighter fights, I just don't even deserve to be mentioned. I mean, so bad. So unbelievably bad. Uh, Stefan Struve defeated Noguera, 30-27 across the board. I just can't. I don't have the heart to talk bad about Noguera. I just don't. Um, you know, just look like he was under ice. Could, could barely move. Uh, I don't know. I just don't, I just don't have. It. I mean, what do you want to say about it? He's going to retire. It's too late. He literally looked like he was sick. 
like he was trying to fight despite having pneumonia or something. Anyway, uh, Antonio Silva uh, defeated Sol Paleli via TKO punches at 41 seconds of the second round. Lost the first round. Old Sol Paleli, you all see his Harai Goshi off the wizard? Antonio Silva had uh, inside, inside control. He comes over with the wizard, trips him over, the old Nate Diaz special, you know what I'm talking about, and goes over. Harai Goshi, one leg in front of both of their legs. There's Uchimata, which is between the Haragoshis in front of both. Bloop, and they go over. Uh, Claudia Gadelia, Gadelia, I hope you pronounce it properly, defeated Jessica Aguilar, 30-27 across the board. You can give uh, Aguilar the third round. I think I did watching it in real time, but not sure how I feel about it the second time. Um, a lot to talk about here. I- I'll just make it as brief as I can. First of all, Gadelia must be strong as hell to get her takedowns the way she does. I mean, she is just picking these girls up and dropping them with ease, blasting right through them. It's good technique, too, but she's clearly physically quite strong for that weight class. Um, Gadelia did so many things right, getting her head off center, doubling up on jabs, firing jabs and then crosses, um, recognizing small gaps in defense and throwing single shots when it mattered. Um so what was she doing? She would counter the right hand of Aguilar. Aguilar, Aguilar is orthodox, right? So jab, cross. I'm left-handed, so for me, it's a little more easier, but whatever. Uh, she would fire the jab and then come over with the right. Gadele would be ready for it because there was a speed differential. So when she would do it, that's when she would wrap the head and then fire the knee. And what would, what happened is if she couldn't fire the knee, which had landed a few times, but over time, Aguilar began to anticipate it. So what did Aguilar do? She would frame. But as she framed, Gadelia would just hold on, hold on, hold on, and then body kick up the middle. Why? Because your arm is up out here, so you're exposed down here. So that was kind of awesome. Um, she saw Gadelia trying to like adjust off some of her punches, so she was jabbing but kind of looking down a little bit. So that's when the uppercut began to fire. So it was a nice adjustment from Gadelia. Uh, in round two, there was a crushing right hand. It, it, she had changed direction when she was walking, Aguilar did, and it wasn't like she had bought on a feint or anything. She was just kind of holding it here, and I think that Gadelia thought that the hand speed and the explosive ability to you know just get off the block would catch her, and it did. Crushing, crushing right hand cracked uh, Aguilar. I think it's the one that eventually broke her nose or set up the eventual strike that broke her nose. Um, Aguilar just didn't seem to know what was coming. There was a body lock takedown that Gadelia had in the second round that was phenomenal, phenomenal. What does she do? Boom. Double underhooks, right? Because where do you want to control? You want to control the inside space, always. Guess the body lock. What does she do? Because Aguilar's back is against the fence. Got to get her off, right? She drives her clockwise. She takes her own step out. She drives her, by stepping out, drives her clockwise. Now what's happened? Aguilar has created space behind her, but it has also opened up the spot for Gedalia to get a left leg behind her and then trip her over to the, to the side. Not not a slow trip. It's more like a foot sweep kind of slam at the same time. But you see the point. I'm going to rip you one way and then pick you up and drop you the next. So she rips her off the fence, gets her momentum going one way, sets up the block behind, picks her up, and then dumps her uh, to the canvas hard. You know, pretty incredible. Um, the hand speed again, of Gedalia. She slowed down in that third as Aguilar kind of adjusted to some of those leg kicks, which should have been a bigger thing. I thought Joe Rogan's point about when you watch Gedalia, she's really powerful, but she does sit kind of heavy on that front leg a lot. And so when Aguilar began to adjust to it, uh, 
she had a lot more success. So lesson learned for, for Aguilar. But um, and then of course at the end of the second round, Gadelia catches a kick and then drives it to the canvas with it. And then the third round was a little bit better for her. But uh, there you go. All right. So there's one more fight I want to discuss, and I'll get out of here. I know I've gone a little bit, little bit longer than I wanted. Uh, it was the Maya Magni fight. This was a fight I. I don't know, my own gut, and I wrote this in the comments, my own gut told me Maya was going to win this, but then I had consistently underrated Magni for a long time, and I thought, I got to stop doing that. But I picked the wrong time to um, think he was going to turn the corner. Anyway, Demi and Maya defeated uh, Neil Magni, rear naked choke, uh, at 252 of the second round. I mean, you want to talk about, this is like a, a most insane clinic I've ever seen. You know, just a... I felt bad for Magni. This is what it looks like if you put an experienced blue belt on someone off the street. Or, you know, let's say a purple belt or something. Whatever. Even a black belt would, wouldn't even last that long. But if you take like a good good blue belt, you know, someone's been training for a few years, and you put them in there with someone just off the street, this is what it looks like. They just get completely dominated. They don't know what they're doing. They just can't keep up. They can't keep up with the pressure. It's just too much. Here was one of the big things the entire time for Neil Magny. He has a very elongated body, and people think, oh, well, that's great if you have an elongated body because you can do arm bars and, and triangles really well, and that's true. But here's the other problem with being that long. If you get pressured and then you get stretched, someone's able to pull your leg out, you create so much space, and it's much harder for you to bring and close that space again. If you're short like Paul Harris, and someone opens your leg, you can get past, but you can just crunch in to the same side a lot easier. A lot easier. So what happens? There's so many times he just gets Neil Magny, he pushes into Neil Magny, Neil Magny pushes back, and he just sort of does like a, he doesn't do a Toriando pass, but he does like a Matador kind of thing. Um, I don't know my boss is here. And um, I was like, God damn it. Uh, pressures in, Magni pushes out, whoop, gets out of the way, legs come by, and then there's this huge, huge gap in space. That happened a lot, man. That happened a lot. It's not Neil's fault because Neil's a very good jiu-jitsu player, but a good black belt is just going to know how to push you just enough to get you to react and then take advantage of it. They, they, I mean, there's another part. Like, you just see someone's mount. I, his mount doesn't feel like any other – like, you can go and find another black belt, and that other black belt's mount is not going to feel as ridiculous as Demi and Maya. They just know how to pour their weight down centered like concrete. It's it's just absurd. It's just absurd. So, um, so that was one thing that you want to pay attention to when you watch that fight again. It's just watch how much – watch how far from his chest his knees go, Neil Magny. And then that's the gap I'm talking about. If you're if – you're, if you're, knee is against your chest and your elbows and your arms covering it they can get to the side of you but they haven't really passed have they but if they can stretch you out and open you up and then occupy the space donezo so uh let's see maya pulls guard immediately and does shin on shin why does he do shin on shin because if he doesn't do shin on shin Magni can just basically walk away. If you're getting shin on shin, you're getting pushed down on your hand because they're lifting you up from behind, pushes down the hand. Maya uses that to come out from his base, stand up, trip to the right. As he trips him to the right, I don't even see how he did it. He just steps over with the left into mount before they even hit the ground. Okay, so now you're just in deep trouble, all right? Um, there were a couple times where 
Maya tried to trap the he was able to trap a right arm and then sit for an S mount. You ever see, you've seen an S mount before. They kind of sit out to the side and legs look like they're making an S. Um, and Neil manages to escape, but there was a lot of times where where um, Magni was able to control from half guard. Okay, here's what Maya did virtually every time. He would control the head or step around and put his weight down on his hips. Right, so there's either one or two ways he wanted to do it. There's, there's a lot of different varieties of ways you can do it, but don't pay attention so much to that because that's a little bit complicated. Watch what he does with his legs. He goes heel toe, heel toe, heel toe, walks his heel and toe up to the edge of basically Magni's butt, and what does that do? That brings his knee out. If I if my leg is straight out, it's in your you got to be in half guard. My knee is basically camouflaged, but if I slowly heel toe it to the edge of your rear end. It's going to pop out. Once his knee popped out from between the legs, all I needed was daylight on it. He would just push the knee over and slide it out. And he did this over and over and over and over again. Heel toe, heel toe, heel toe, heel toe. Daylight for the knee. Let's rotate to that same side. Push and roll. A bunch. A bunch. He did this. Crazy. Uh, okay. Round two. Uh, Maya got the double and basically steps over right into mount. Magni tries to push him off and bring his knees back to his chest like a butterfly guard, but Maya was waiting for it. So what happens? He goes into him, out of him, as Magni pushes away. But as he does that, Maya is almost in a leg drag position where if I'm supposed to be in front of you, he steps off at an angle, the knee comes over. So what does he have to do? You've already extended. The space is here. All Maya has to do is just go and occupy it, which he does. He goes and occupies it. Um, yeah, anyway, so then there was the body triangle fish. So basically, hold on one second, just to be on the safe side of things. God damn it. Okay. Uh, last thing here real quickly, and we'll call it a day. Uh, last thing. Okay. Um, body triangle finish. So he has one hook in. He only has the left hook in. He's got seatbelt grip, I think, on top. Right? Never two hands underneath. Always one hand over the neck. That is the hand. The hand that comes over the neck is the one. Pretend like you're stabbing him in the heart. This hand comes on top. That's always how you do it. You don't do this. You don't just... You don't do this. The hand that comes over, pretend like there's a knife there. Stabbing. Hand on top. That's always how it... That's how the seatbelt grip goes. So does the seatbelt grip, has the left hook in. You can see him shrimp slowly out to the right just to create space for the leg. Boom, gets the second hook. Immediately goes for a body triangle on this side, locks it up. Uh, you know, Maya's left side, this is my left side. Locks it up. And there, then there's just a hand fight. And it was a crazy kind of hand fight because Maya, you know, he just has a, he's just an experienced hand fighter. You have to get someone like Jake Shields who can avoid you. Otherwise, you know, he's just, it's just a skill differential there. So what does he do? He has the right hand extending Magni out, not just down, out and away. Now, not, he didn't have him perpendicular, but, you know, off at an angle away from the body. Why? Because you're strong here, you're weak here, okay? Um, so he, he controls the arm down, yeah? And then uh, this hand, left hand, he's kind of punching in the side of the head. Magni actually has his hands up here. He's got his hand up here, but, like, there was... There's like daylight here, right? You see all the daylight? Because even if he's here, there's still daylight here. So he just punches, 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 and then whoop, just slides it 
right under the neck. Okay, so now he's got a hit. So what has he done on this side? He's rotated it over. He's rotated it over. So all he has to do is then let go of Neil, and he can't draw it back because there's padding on top of the glove. So he goes palm up and then pulls it back. Boom. Um, I think he had a gable grip. I have to go back and look. He had a gable grip. But whatever the case, it wasn't under the chin. But, you know, I don't know exactly why Neil tapped. Partly a choke, partly a crank, whatever it was. The jaw was hurting. Just know that someone like Demi and Maya doesn't look like he can bench press 1,000 pounds. He will break your jaw if you let him with that. He will break your jaw if you let him. You know, he just absolutely will. And by the way, did you notice how quickly he let go of the tap after the tap? Because it's not that hard. You just drop a hand. On that Kimura that Paul Harris did, all you have to do is just let go of one hand, and the whole thing goes away. That's why you need two hands. Um, just something to keep in mind. That Maya had a Maya was Maya was going to break his jaw probably if he had kept going. All he had, all he had to do was from here is just let go. That's it. All you got to do is just let go. Okay. Uh, fighter of the card, I'm going to give, of course, probably to Rousey. But if you're not going to give it to her, I would give it to Claudia Gadelia. I thought she looked probably the best of anyone who had, you know, much closer opposition. And then, of course, in the World Series of Fighting card, I hate to give it to Paul Harris. I can't. Um, I guess I'll give it to Marlon Moraes, who had a great fight against Shaman Moraes. Uh, I just don't have time to break it all down. I've gone way longer than I'm supposed to anyway, like I always do. Next week. Next week, hang on one second. Let's look this up real quick. UFC Fight Night, I think like 70 billion. UFC Fight Night, 73. This takes place at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee. Headlined by Glover Teixeira versus uh, Owen St. Preux. Other fights to watch on that card, Michael Johnson taking on Benil Dariush. Uh, Brunson versus Alvi is not that great. Um, Uriah Hall versus, I always have trouble with this guy's name, Oluwale Bangbos. Uh, Sarah McMahon, Amanda Nunes is big. Dustin Ortiz, Willie Gates. It's a big fight for Willie Gates. And then that's about it. So those fights you want to watch on that one, that'll be, of course, on Fox Sports 1. And the preliminary card at 8, Fox Sports 2. Keep that in mind. Okay. I have to get out of here. I am sorry for taking so long like I always do. I appreciate your time. If you didn't catch this live, I'm going to put this on the site. I think it's going to go up at 2 p.m. So there you go. You're in good shape. Thank you very much for watching. Email me at luke.thomas at espionation.com if you have any questions. And until next time, enjoy the fights.